All right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I truly believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation, it could be business, it could be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood, but the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us are not just salespeople. There are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm gonna share their stories here so we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately, we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, gang, this is uh, an exciting uh, day. This is my first uh, uh, Olympic gold medalist on the show, someone I've met through a, just an amazing uh, community, um, you know, the uh, with with Scott McGregor's uh, talent uh, uh, council, talent leadership council. Um, you know, I uh, this person is a performance coach. Um, I, I love the kind of description, he, you know, he leads with, he, he collaborates collaborates with leaders and teams by getting them outside the day-to-day -day rush of life and, and bringing focus to what truly matters most. Uh, this person's uh, uh, just, as I said, uh, uh, an Olympic uh, gold medalist. He had a 19-year career as an elite uh, athlete with U.S. canoe and kayak that included 10 national championship titles, two Olympic Games appearances, and of course, that Olympic gold medal. Um, and he just has an amazing background. And as a as a, a side note, I've been to Key West a bunch of times. Um, I've had a lot of fun, but this guy's actually uh, started uh, in Havana, Cuba and finished uh, a, a, a sea kayak expedition 34 hours later in Key West, probably when I was, uh, you know, drinking a, a margarita at, at uh, Captain Tony's or something like that. Um, but um, I am so proud to welcome none other than Joe Jacoby to the podcast. Welcome, Joe. Hey, Alex. It's nice to be here. I don't, you may have alluded to this being the first Olympic gold medalist you've had on the podcast, but I'm, I should just point out, you actually went to high school with another Olympic gold medalist in canoeing that wasn't me. You, Norm Bellingham was a gold medalist in kayaking in 1988 in Seoul, South Korea, Richard Montgomery uh, graduate. So uh, yeah, you got some pretty good gold, gold medal connections and canoeing uh, around you here on the podcast and even from your high school days. I, I love the just crazy connections. I meet Joe, uh, uh, you know, really through this community and uh, a webinar. And I, I, you know, realized that, yeah, we both live in the uh, uh, we grew up in the Maryland, D.C. area and then even further in Montgomery County. And Joe actually went to a high school near me and actually knew, knew people that went to the high school with me. Um, and um, little do I, did I know we were a canoeing, uh, you know, powerhouse uh, or Absolutely. people were powerhouses from our from our high school. So that's great. That's great. Um, Joe, uh, I'm so excited to have you on this conversation. Uh, you know, someone that has compete at the highest levels of anything, uh, what you learn from that, it's uh, just, uh, I think, you know, only few people in the world really can, um, you know, kind of uh, give insights to that. So uh, thank you so much for that. I know I asked you a question um, and, and I'm gonna kind of tie in the question I asked you because uh, we could ask you questions you were presenting and we could ask you questions. So I asked you questions about, you know, now being outside of the sport, you know, kind of how do you, think about success now 
uh, and what that means to you now versus kind of when you were in it, what you've learned, what that you know experience has taught you. And I'd like to tie it in. My first question I always like to ask people is this is a uh, this is a podcast about sales, but it's not like the typical sales we think of like that salespeople all you know we think are the only people that know it. I just I feel like everyone has this quality about them to that to really connect with people, and that's what you were doing on that call. And so, you know, when you just hear that term, Joe, when I say something to you, like uh, the term of the of this podcast, uh, you know, sell by being human, what is the fir- what are the things that come to mind for you? And what are the things in your career that may have taught you uh, to, to do that? I, I love the question. I love the name of the podcast, but I would say what comes to mind for me is that we did talk about the fact I was a gold medalist in canoeing. One thing we didn't mention that that gold medal was won in a two-person canoe paddling with another another person named Scott Strasbaugh. And I, I think what really comes to mind in the question is my relationship with Scott, the, the partnership that we formed, and that not only to be good as a two-person canoe team, remember, you're strapped into a canoe navigating whitewater river rapids that are really hard. So not only do you have all the elements of challenge of just navigating the river with the river yourself, you know, competing against other people, which you do in racing, but now you have to do it working with another person. And a lot of that communication is very nonverbal. We talk with our bodies, we talk with our paddles, you know, we kind of read each other like we're reading the river. And so to go even a little bit deeper into that relationship with Scott is that, um, we were really, really different human beings. Like I know diversity in the workplace has come to mean something different in 2022 than it did in 1992. And I think it's a wonderful evolution, but basically for us, that diversity was, um, you know, Scott was very introverted, very analytical in his Mm. person of the sport. Mm. I was very extroverted, very, uh, optimistic, very happy-go-lucky. And there was a big age difference between us two for canoeing. Like I, we started paddling together. Scott had already graduated college and I had not yet graduated high school. So we had six, he was six years older than me. Now think about when you graduated college and now you're trusting your Olympic success, your Olympic career to a kid that hasn't graduated high school. And so, I mean, by the time we won the Olympics, that was six years later, but at the start, that's, there's a big difference there. So I always tell people that, and this is the answer to the question, we, we, we weren't 180 degrees different, but I suspect we're about 179. And I think had we been 175 degrees different, I don't think we would have won the Olympics. So the answer is that the differences between us is really what makes the relationship special. Like that's what brings out, it brings a wider perspective. It brings in a wider ability, but you got to work through some things. I think in the relation, you have to work through some things within the relationship to kind of get to that point where, you know, you're not being frustrated by the differences, but you're really kind of using those differences to kind of find the commonalities, ways to work together. That was not, it's, easy to sit here on a podcast and talk about them, much harder to do. But that is influenced anytime I did work in it. When I was the chief executive officer of USA Canoe Kayak, the national governing body for competitive canoeing in the United States and under the Olympic and Paralympic umbrella, 
you know, my sense was to bring in people who did not think of like me that they like I the last thing I wanted was more Joe Jacoby's on my team like I wanted the other people to get that diversity of skill that diversity of talent that diversity of thought that diversity of experience culture all of it I just I I really kind of soaked that in so um that's what comes to me when I when I think of that question Alex yeah I mean, what I heard you say a lot, yeah, I've never heard it put that way that like you really like just if you were slightly more alike, then maybe you wouldn't have had the success and and that you kind yeah. of like cherished that level of difference that you were <laughs> that you, you know, but some people get so frustrated. It's so easy to get right. Like I, I, I can imagine. So you probably have seen it. Teammates, Olympic teammates, even right. That got to a very high level because of pure skill, but they're placed with someone that has like equal skill, but like those differences actually work against them in just enormous ways. Um, those frustrate, like someone that's like analytical versus. So yeah, I'm you know um, I'm I'm thinking to myself like if I'm I'm someone saying okay like when I get someone that's different than me like I just I butt heads I I just don't know like what you know how how do you make something like that work if he was so different. And I don't know if you can think of like some of the things and, uh, you know, oh, yeah. I know that's a huge question. No, no, it's a great question. Okay. Let's, I, 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 let's dive into it. I mean, first of all, you know, when you first start out at anything, you sort of, you don't know what you don't know. So it's fun. It's kind of happy go lucky and you kind of progress. Then you start getting a little bit of success and that's kind of when the expectations and you start to feel some pressure. That's where these things start to get tough. When we realized that Whitewater Canoe Solom was going to be on the Olympic program in 1992, this was only 1989. Like we were just sort of emerging. We were winning our first World Cup race. We were winning medals in World Cup races. Like we knew we could be pretty good and we had a chance to go to the Olympics, which you know would be exciting. But we had we had a, there was a lot of conflict. Like we had a, a hard time working things out. So one of those things that comes to mind, Alex, is that we actually worked with a sports psychologist and it wasn't just any sports psychologist. It was Shane Murphy, who was the head of sports psychology for the U.S. Olympic Committee. And, you know, I learned so much for Shane, from Shane, and I think it actually has a lot of my interest in being a, why I'm a performance coach today. Instead of what, what Shane did with us is that instead of just sort of looking at our personalities and saying, well, Joe is like this and Scott's like this. So we need to adjust this so the two of you guys can work together. It didn't do much of that at all. What Shane really focused on with us was really looking at the environment, the space, you know, building a, a collaborative, trusting space in which we could dialogue, in which we have conversation. So to kind of put this into today's business world speak, I think sometimes when we're having friction with a colleague or a partner, someone that we really want to work with, that we just sort of feel like, yeah, the best thing to do is just talk about it. Like, oh, there's an open door. I'm just going to walk in and, you know, he doesn't look busy and we're just going to talk it out. And the story that I tell is sort of with myself is that, you know, if Scott and I were doing, had done two workouts in a day, a morning session and an afternoon session, and then a third weightlifting session, and then we finished that gym session. And now it's seven to 30 at night. We're both super tired. All we want to do is go to our respective homes, get some food in our stomachs and go to sleep. 
And if I use that moment to say, hey, like I've really got a problem with like something that's going on, you already know it's not going to end well because like I've chosen the worst possible time to have that conversation. We're tired, we're hungry, we're irritable, we're, you know, (laughs) it's not the right time. But if I had the presence of mind to say, hey, there is something that's on my mind. Do you think we could meet 30 minutes earlier tomorrow morning for a cup of coffee before our, our first session and talk about it a little bit? Now what I've done is I've bought 12, 13 hours of time where I can get that food in my stomach, where I can get some rest. And more importantly, not only can I be more thoughtful about how I want to present an idea that might challenge Scott, but also I can prepare myself to hear ideas that I, from Scott about me that I may not find so flattering or enjoyable. It's all preparation. And it's like when we start to give more thought to the space you know, of trust and collaboration, and you realize that not any minute you want to talk to your, you know, your colleague, mm. your, your partner mm. about mm. the problem, mm. it's not open season on that. And you actually really set this up and you understand roles and responsibilities before the conversation. There's an agreement that we're going to go back to our roles and responsibilities after the conversation. But what happens in the middle of that conversation, that is like, that is the time where, you know, it's thoughtful, it's respectful, but it's on point. And, you know, we talk and that's what Shane was really good at. And he really helped us sort of get at the root of some challenges and it really kind of got our whole, our two-person team back on track about a year before the Olympics, where we really did ride an, an upward curve for about a year, right up and through the day that we, we won the Olympic Games. So it, it can be done. And it's just, I, I, it's what I always look for with where the tension really exists. Everyone wants to just get rid of the tension because they're not comfortable with it. Mm. Don't do that. Mm. Think about the space of where the conversations that are going to the open, trusting, collaborative conversations are going to happen and how we can set those up to really have the best chance of being successful. We start to do that. We'll have different kinds of conversations. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think uh, too much. Yeah. We're trying to, to, to kind of, yeah, like you said, run away from, to, from the tension or maybe address it head on, like right away. I love that the analogy, like, yeah, let's just talk it through. Like, let's just like do this and um, not, not all the right things not need to be said, you know, right away, you know, there's a right time for everything. And and I feel like, yeah, when, when you do set up that space, when you think, so you're not intentionally thinking about the, even the problem, because people are like, okay, we need to think about this problem and how we work through the problem. We're thinking about the actual preparation or space to tell, to talk through that problem, the environment, the, the dynamic of of how we talk through that problem it's not just the actual space um it's the time you'd say it it's the you know uh just the emotions involved uh like like that you both will have uh when you say it um so you're thinking really critically it seems like through that when when i hear you say what you said it really does take some patience and awareness to pull that off right i mean you know to think about those things again we're sort of fighting off the brain it just wants to make resistance go away so quickly yeah i'm just gonna say what's on my mind you know and yeah like how do we really create those spaces to ask ourselves is this really the best time to be saying this like is there really a good outcome that is going to come or am i just going to feel like i said my piece and now i can walk away from this it usually doesn't work out well yeah <laughs> so 
I what I hear a lot of too is just like what you do. The outcome of that is just building a lot of deep, deep trust in the the person. And um, you know, I think like you're in. I mean, what your your business, like what you were doing, you're in a sport that is is really. I mean, uh, you're, you know, risking your life, you know, at times it's not, it's not, it's not like, you know, jumping out of a plane or anything, but you know, you're, I mean, it's, um, it's not the safest sport, let's say, but there's a lot of safety involved in it, but like, you have to trust, you're trusting, you know, yourself with a, another person. So things can happen. Um, so, you know, curious, like, uh, you know, the, the, are there people that, you know, you, like you said, you 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 said Shane taught it to you. Anyone in like your personal life that you saw did this really really well, where they kind of got, you know, maybe like I mean, uh, your your uh, your teammate was a complete stranger when you first met him, and you had to build trust with that person. So can you think of people in your life where you know maybe they they taught it to you, maybe they prepared you without even knowing. Uh, before you kind of were that 13 year old, 14 year old and met, uh, or, or that 19 year old when you first met. Um, yeah, God. I, I, I do have a couple of people that come to mind and, and, and I actually write about both of them in, in, in my book as well. But before I do, I want to share something that's interesting because tr ultimately trust is the goal, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I, Every morning I, I write in a journal and this sort of stems from my, my time as an athlete when I used to write in my training log every day. And I just sort of took that habit and I shifted it into journaling. I, I don't want to live today at 52 years old like I did when I was, I don't want that life again when I was right. 21. There were, it was great, but I'm glad not to be doing that now. I, I had to figure out ways to take things that I did as an Olympic athlete and transfer them into the kind of life I want to live now, which looks a lot different than it did when I was 21. So the journaling, I write down every morning, I have like a little life objective that I write. And then underneath mm -hmm. that, I write some, uh, some values and I have a way of writing and I write these same values uh, every day. They're like word maps around key areas of my life, like outlook for the day, how I manage energy. And then I have coaching, which is really important to me. I have a little word map, which I'm going to share with you in a second. And then creating, being a creative, you know, creating or writing, which I enjoy doing. On the word map for coaching, I, I write down six words every day. And I write down, uh, listen, ask, connect, trust, collaborate, evolve. And that little word map helps me a lot, but I want to focus on the two words in the middle, connect and trust, because in any coaching relationship, I, I, of course, I want to have trust, but I know it takes a few conversations to build trust. However, the, the step that precedes trust is connection. Mm. And you, mm. you and I know from our own yeah. experience, yeah. anyone can build, yeah. I actually take it up. I actually feel like I, I've done something wrong if I don't build connection on one call. I have no expectation of building trust. I actually think that it does take a, take a mm. longer. And you have to, you know, but I think once we understand that connection is the precursor to trust, at least like, that's been my experience with it, then we sort of set the path, you know, for, for getting there. You asked about people in my life that maybe I kind of picked that up from yeah yeah uh, there was interestingly from the uh, Baltimore area but they moved up to the Washington DC up to the you know Washington DC area down to the Washington DC area from Baltimore Fritz and Lecky Haller 
there were brothers. Uh, they they actually won the world championship in 1983 uh, in the doubles canoe, and they were so welcoming of me. I was 13, 14 years old when I would go out on the Potomac River, and these world champions were welcoming me into every workout. And Lecky would end up being one of my 1992 Olympic teammates, and his brother Fritz was our Olympic coach. There's a whole chapter about Fritz in the book called The Anatomy of Bold Coaching. But I think these guys and the way they work together and their outlook on building trust, and it's like I've seen doubles canoe teams that were brothers, that were twin brothers, that were cousins, that were people that didn't know each other. There's advantages and disadvantages to every kind of two-person collaboration. But I was just really aware of it when I was young, just like how Lecky in the back of the canoe was really trying to give Fritz, his brother in the front of the canoe, that freedom to lead and how he set his brother up for success in the boat with the way he paddled in the strokes that he took. So you just have to imagine these two people in the boat working together. A lot of people have ideas about two people being in a canoe, like one steers, one is the power. Everyone's a little bit different in the way they work the boat. I just know that, and I, you'll see in the book, I mean, Lecky was the kind of guy that would just, who paddled the back of the boat like I did, it would tell whoever he was paddling the front of the boat with, you just do what you need to do to, to get yourself through. I'll find a way on the rest of it. You know, he was always trying to set his partner up for success. And I just was so, I mean, I, I had, just imagine now being 13 or 14 years old and these world champions are inviting wow. you into their training sessions to do workouts with them. Yeah, that's going to have an impression on you. Like you're going to start to notice like how cool they are. And you're going to start to notice after time, but they're also human. They put their pants on one leg at a time, like everyone else. And then you really start to notice like what makes them great, what makes them champions. And so I noticed that when Lecky was a teammate of mine later on. And then of course, his brother Fritz, who would be our coach at the 1992 Olympics. And I, I won't go into the story today. It's a really good one. It's in the book. It's called the anatomy of bold coaching, but I mean, Fritz was unbelievable as a coach like he just it took again it took time for him as a coach to find his rhythm his trust building trust with us but you know he seized a moment that was very unexpected and it was very different than what other coaches in his situation did on the previous day when they had uh athletes in a, in a position of success and fritz did something very different and that was you know, that is the reason that you have a, a gold medalist on your podcast today. I, I love it. You're, there's so many good stories you have. You're making me think of one you told on the other one about your medal. So maybe we'll we'll save that till the end. But what I um, what was really interesting about that story is like just something as simple as saying, hey, like, you know, that person, um, you know, Fritz was was older than you and was like, you know, hey, you do what you need to do in the front of the boat to, you know, like, you know, to to have success, to find success, to like get the most out of you, and I'll kind of like, um, you know, you know, do what, like, I'll correct, like, I'll. He was willing to let you kind of get the best out of you, and then, you know, like, kind of, um, like flex his approach to however you were gonna be, because you know, he it wasn't like, hey, 
you know, I'm, I'm older, I, I'm more experienced, I know what I'm doing, like, just kind of like follow my lead, you know, um, sort of thing. It was like, hey, I know you have your, he was, I, it, it made me think when you said about like, not just leading with trust, I love those words. Um, a lot of people think, you know, well, I'll trust the person until like, they like, you know, show me a reason not to trust them or something like that, you know, or lose my trust. And I, that's totally uh, the, the, like, I think that the wrong way to look at it, whereas, you know, even before that, like you said, connection, that builds connection. And even, I don't mean to give another word to you, but I think when you, what you were doing when you're building that connection, what he was doing, maybe what you do with, with clients is you also have to, to the word I would, th I was thinking of is, is, is risk. You have to risk a lot of, um, you have to like, you can't have trust without risk. You're risking like, you know, just, um, like, you know, your ability, success, your, 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 your risk, you know, your, your, you don't know kind of how they'll respond. You're, mm. you're basically willing to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, risk, you know, your, uh, uh, what, what I think like is, 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 you know, the, the, like what, what I think that can get the most out of you in order to build that connection and then order to, to build that trust. Um, I don't know what you think about that, you know, kind of a day. You know, Alex, what's so interesting is that, you know, what, you know what we need in order to be able to risk? We need uncertainty. You, you, what, you oh, couldn't man. have risk without there being uncertainty. And that is one of the big takeaways, you know, from my writing, from the way that I sort of navigate my own life is that um, if you think, if you really pause for a moment and you really think about your relationship with uncertainty, I, certainly our brain is kind of mm -hmm. is conditioned yeah. to try to Absolutely. avoid it, minimize it, make it go away as quickly as possible. And what I suggest is that there's a way to not only um, embrace it, but actually collaborate with it. And in fact, the way I define slalom, the title of the book, you know, slalom is the discipline of canoeing that I did. So I, so I basically have this idea that everyone is in a river and we are all in the river and that we're navigating this river of life, you know, one way or another, you know, um, with the, the best of our, our capabilities. And I suggest that slalom, when you have like optionality and the agility to move back and forth across the river, like that's like the way you, that is the way you want to, to run this river. The way I define slalom is to pursue, it's a little bit wordy, but let's kind of get into it. Into the risk uh, comment. Slalom is the pursuit of flow and simplicity in collaboration with uncertainty using our agile and counterintuitive response. Okay. So let's, you know, we're sort of talking about two performance states that work really well. Flow, which is to deeply immerse yourself yeah. in something. Simplicity is like removing the junk you don't need. We can all just say like, yeah, that's a pretty nice place to perform. I don't care whether you play golf, you go running, you're painting, you're dancing, you're enjoying time on the beach. Flow and simplicity are great performance states. Then this idea like, wait a minute, I, I have to use though, I'm going to link that with uncertainty. Like, what are you, you know, that doesn't make, like, I'd much yeah, rather avoid it. Yeah. yeah, I, but that's the thing. I mean, there's a lot of energy to be taken that really helps us achieve those states of flow and simplicity, provided that we respond to uncertainty in a unique way. 
the sen- using our sense of agility means like adaptability, the ability to change directions and say, maybe going straight downstream can be good, but I don't want to go straight downstream because I don't know how to turn. Let's teach people how to turn, how to pivot, how to move side to side. It's a lot more fun. You see the river in a completely different way and you develop better skill sets. And secondly, so much of what we do on the river is completely counterintuitive. Just like I think a lot of the strategies about life, whether we're talking about the balance between what we control, we don't control, the amount of work we do versus the amount of rest, a lot of the things that really work out in the end, or even, you know, there's evidence-based work to support it, it's very counterintuitive to do. So that's the nature of it, the pursuit of flow and simplicity in collaboration with uh, uh, uncertainty using our counterintuitive and agile response. It's wordy, but that's where that sense of risk comes from. Without risk, there is no uncertainty. And without mm-hmm. uncertainty, like, I, I, like, you know, I don't know that that's really what, what we're signing up for in, in, a, in a world where, you know, ultimately selling and the building relationships and sales is fundamental to what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go there. Cause you know, I think a lot of times like, so in your, you know, uh, we've had a lot of like business owners and um, entrepreneurs, you know, even some coaches on and, you know, and, and anyone selling anything, there's, there's, there's uncertainty with that. Nobody selling anything can say, you know, before something was done, whether that was a contract or whether it was just an idea or whether it was just like, Hey, let's go out to dinner tonight, that there wasn't like some like, thought in your head, hey, that this could not go my way. Um, they're, they're, uh, if you're thinking that it could all the time, then you are super confident and um, more power to you. But I, I do believe then you're not really tapping into like what you're talking about, the state of flow, the state of um, where you're, you know, kind of, you know, marrying flow and simplicity and you're um, like saying, collaborating and being agile and really getting the most out of your just who you are. Like, I think that that's really what I'm passionate about because that's what you're trying to do. You're when you're quote unquote selling, um, which I, every day as a coach, you're trying to ask people questions to really, you know, your product really is their performance, their ability, like what they can, what they can get out of themselves. So they're, they're almost convincing themselves. Like there's no convincing or hard convincing or persuading that you're doing. You're just trying to uh, uh, be a catalyst. You're trying to, um, uh, you know, help shine a light on something that they can't see themselves. So, how do you kind of view what you do today in the spirit of, you know, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, helping people realize something and maybe get the best out of themselves, and uh, you know, kind of uh, going down that a kind of a framework. Yeah. Well, I think there. Are- a couple things and you know we we use in my coaching work that i do at valor performance you know we we have frameworks that you know certainly revolve around this idea that we need to in the innermost part of the circle you know we need to know ourselves and we need to lead ourselves like even Mm -hmm. that is the part that we do get get to control and we don't graduate from that like we always Mm -hmm. come back to that right and then we can start to move out from those circles. You know, we, we lead others, we lead with courage. 
even in the, you know, on in my river analogy, you know, the book is divided up into these, what I call these six river classes. And the first class is I sort of make this pitch for solemn, which we were just talking about. But the second class is called the paddler's energy. And the idea behind the paddler's energy is that as long as you paddle, you'll, you, you never graduate from it, but it's not time, but you are managing the expenditure and the replenishment of energy, your capacity, you know, you're taking care of yourself to put yourself in the best position to take care of others. And that sort of moves into the more advanced river classes, which is like river strategy, relationships bound by water, course correcting, and, you know, the practice of, of, of transition. And so what I'm always doing with a client, because it's not like I have, it's like, that is a, just a framework. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, everyone has like different things that they're working with. Some of it is, is, is internal, is more, you know, inside of them. Some of it is more external, but yeah, I'm always sort of looking for the places where they are not going, where they are like avoiding almost mm. to go to sort of solve, you know, to solve what they want to solve. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of what happens, you know, in this process, it's a little bit like kind of holding up a, a mirror, you know, and kind of helping people to see blind spots that are hard to see. We And we all have them. We all need help to sort of to see uh, the, those blind spots. And again, if you even think about what we were talking about earlier about creating a space for safe, trusting, collaborative conversations. I, I can't even imagine going to these places without building the space first. That's why it takes time to, you know, we can build connection in one call, but we can't build trust in one call. So, you know, there is a little bit of time it takes, you know, to get there. But ultimately, when we where, where the rubber hits the road, Alex, I think that um, this is what we're looking at. And I'm always kind of looking at, yeah, where what are the rocks in the river that, that they tend to be avoiding, right? So, and this is a really interesting analogy. You have the river current, we're in the river, and there's this stationary big rock. And all we think is like, oh, all that rock can do is hurt me because it's a big stationary. It would, it would hurt to hit that rock. So intuitively, not counterintuitively, intuitively, we go, well, I'm going to stay far away. I'm going to get close to the shore. And you know what the water is like close to the shore? It's like really shallow. You're bumping over crappy rocks. You're never aligning with the strongest energy that's in the middle of the river because you're avoiding the rocks. And so what you realize when you confront the rocks and you really, and anyone you confront the obstacle is that you sort of realize it's not really an obstacle. An obstacle, the, the water doesn't, in a rock doesn't hurt you. The water, the rock simply redirects the water in a different direction. And so once you start to figure that out, you actually realize there's a lot of beautiful energy that exists near the rocks. If you think about any time in your life that you've confronted something that you weren't looking forward to, you confronted it in a positive, healthy, productive way, how you felt afterwards. And usually you're like, why the heck didn't I aim for this rock sooner? Because you see things when you're close to the rock that you can't see when you're hugging the shoreline, going over the crappy shoals and your boats, but you can't take real paddle strokes and you're not in real river current. It's not a good place to be, but we just keep avoiding the rocks because we think the rocks are going to hurt us. But the counterintuitive way of looking at it is that there's all kinds of energy and opportunities near the rock 
And once mm-hmm. you start to see the rock as a collaborator, not as an obstacle, you reframe what's going on and you come up with a way to actually put yourself in the main river current where all the good energy is. Wow. Uh, that's such a great reframe of looking at your obstacles as as ways as something to collaborate with and, and energy exists close close to them <laughs> and not away from um I got to ask you this, like, I love, like, uh, just, um, you know, moments that coaches have where they just see light bulbs turn off and they see like, you know, kind of, you know, uh, openings and doors openings with, with with people. So do you have any good, like, can you think of like good questions that you ask, that you ask some of your clients just to, you know, maybe performance questions that either you ask or questions that you have been asked um, by coaches that you have um, that really helped you really like think through some really tough problems that either you had or maybe your clients have like some yeah things? it's it's a, it's a great question i am almost like overwhelmed yeah you know, there's so many yeah coming at it you know from from different ways i i mean i should just sort of say i think that one of the things that i'm reading a a, a lot into the conversations that i'm having is that i'm really looking for how people are managing energy, you know, not time. So a lot of times, you know, clients will sort of identify time as something that's really challenging them. And they think we're going to have a conversation about, oh, if you just shorten this and you do that. And so I read a book and it was written in the 1990s and I read it in 2005, kind of hit me like a bolt of lightning and I haven't been the same since. It was The uh, Power of Full Engagement. Uh, by uh, Jim Lair. And Jim Lair was actually the co-founder of the Johnson Johnson High Performance Institute, along with Jack Gropple. And I speak with Jack on, on a fairly regular basis. And Jack's amazing. Like Jack did a little fireside chat with the Valor community a few weeks ago. And it just made me so happy to see so many people buying into it. But the premise of their ideas, Alex, is that you're not doing what you want to do for a lack of time. You know, it's for a lack of energy. And so I suppose one of those questions that I really like to dig into is that I kind of open up a little bit about myself and my own journey is that Mm -hmm. even in the business sense, like usually with people in sales, it's, I'm not, we are not limiting the conversation to what happens from the time you show up to work and the time you leave work we are very much opening up to what happens from the time you leave work to the time you come back to work the next day. And because I can tell you that my greatest, like uh, my, not just my greatest depth that I've been at in my professional life came from what happened in that space. Not what happened at work, but happened when I wasn't at work. And so I think a lot of the questions are really in that spirit of connection and trust evolving towards trust to understand that, you know, it's very hard to explain to a leader who wants their team to be able to pivot, right? When they have an idea, they want their team to come along with them. And I said, look, your team is going to tell you that they can come along with you because they want your approval. They want to show that they're capable. But the reality is, is that like, what are we doing to like, understand that like they may not be at their best if they're having a troubled marriage, or they may not be at their best if they're taking care of a sick parent or a sick child, or they may not be at their best because they're having a certain health issue. And it's like a lot of times with the clients, when we can work on those things that are really setting them back energy, you know, the ability to replenish energy, 
if the leader really wants a team that's going to have that ability to kind of pivot when it's time to pivot and really have the capacity to pull it off, not the time, the energy to do it. That's what I'm really looking at is like, yeah, I, so I'm always getting into the typical day. I'm always looking for not like what they do. I'm not, you know, it's hard. I don't get impressed by like what they do. I get impressed by how well they rest and, mm. you know, and, and I'm always looking for that and understanding, you know, you know, from the, as much as I can get early on in the conversation, like what happens from the moment they wake up to the time they close their eyes to, to, to go to sleep. And yeah, I think once we can start to look at those things and open up about that, that's where then the questions start to get interesting. I don't, I think it's always like, you know, tell me about the, you know, what a typical day looks like, but I, I give that background about what a disaster I was in the, you know, I was the CEO of USA Canoe Kayak for five years. My life and my health was a disaster for the first three years of that job. The last two years went really well when I started to, you know, course correct in this area of health, what was happening when I was not at work and, uh, or, or really basically doing like a second full work day starting at six o'clock or seven o'clock at night. But that's the nature. I will say that is the nature. People wouldn't under, normally think of this in the Olympic movement, but you have an Olympic sport federation that has all the normal administrative functions, duties, you know, between morning and afternoon, but then you have all these volunteers that have jobs and all their committee meetings and things happen in the evening time. And like, I, I, I couldn't get a handle on that. And man, it was like, the guy you're looking at today was not the same guy that was, you know, working that second day. And I was very lucky to have an, an amazing, you know, former Naval captain that kind of took over as the president of our organization. And there's just these efficiencies of energy uh, that happen in the military that he taught me that were so helpful. And it's like, I won, I won my nights back, which meant I won my sleep back. And then I won my mornings back. And that's when I started to notice change and not just like change and feeling better, but change in energy. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, it's, I, I think I heard you on another podcast talk about that, that, uh, yeah, that, that experience and, um, the, the, the naval person who, who taught you all that. So, yeah, yeah. You know, we don't think of the distinction between time and energy too much. And I know salespeople don't always, they're like, you know, they're blocking their days, their calendars are full. They're, you know, Hey, if I want to get more done, I need to find, you know, time. And, and, and they, they're, they're super diligent about their calendars, but energy is a completely different thing. It's, you know, it's just, you know, your, your, how you feel, your quality of life, your health, your, um, you know, like you said, what you do after your work day. And, um, you know, I'm always consciously thinking the like, Hey, do I want to bring this more on? Like, is it, um, yeah. Like how will I feel about doing that? Like devoting time towards that. Or when, when I started doing something like maybe that I just, I'm not putting as much effort into, it's like, Hey, you know, what, um, what do I really love about doing this? Like this podcast, like there, when I first started, I did everything. I did the editing. I did the, you know, the, uh, the, the audio, the, the sound bites, I put them all together and it was just me and I was out of work and I, I liked it. But as time went on, there's like, there's parts about this that, you know, I'm, uh, that aren't like on top of my list to do, but I love talking with people and I love these conversations. I have fun. Like how does, like, should I keep on doing it? Well, the conversations, if I stopped doing it, I would miss them. 
I would really like that would be a hole for me. So it's like, how can I put more energy towards that and overdame decks on that and then like outsource and kind of delegate some of these things that don't really give me a lot of joy um, to do, you know, so. I, I love it. I, I love it. I, I think it's just always made made some sense, you know, to me about just, you know, again, it, 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 the starting point for making any kind of change will be awareness. I, I know it's really hard to argue the first step on this. Like, how do we know to change anything? Yes. Anything. Oh, so unless without like a moment of awareness to go, that mm. needs to change. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't even know to yep. do it. Yep. And so I, you know, I... I think that is the thing is like, then how do we sort of start to rearrange ourselves to kind of increase the likelihood that we'll get those moment of pauses to ask that question, what, what do I want out of this? Or before I answer this question on social media, as if it were a fact, like I now have this moment of pause where I go, could the opposite be true of what I'm about to write? Could the opposite be true? Just that little pause gets me to say, this is not the question for me to answer on social media. And so I, I doesn't guarantee, because I have a human brain, there's no guarantee that that moment of pause is going to show up, but I'm doing the best I can every day to increase the likelihood that that moment of pause is more likely to show up or that I have the kind of disposition that's going to bring that out that will maybe reduce the chance that I'll make a snap decision, fly off the handle, you know. Um, and it, it helps. And it's not by going to the most stressful situations and doing it. I mean, we talked about this earlier. It's about finding less consequential situations and areas within our control where we can practice mindfulness and awareness, you know, and just do it without like, you know, the consequence of like sending a stupid tweet. You know? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Low stakes stuff. Yeah. I think, um, you know, if I, you know, as we're kind of going down, like, um, you, you definitely coach some sales folks, uh, you know, in your business, you were talking about, like, I think I've heard you uh, say one of your clients were in inside sales and an HR company, and they were kind of, you know, dealing with like, uh, you know, kind of how they manage people. You know, they were talking about time versus energy and like kind of managing metrics and things like that. So, um, you know, kind of towards the end, anything you'd leave like a person who, um, either, you know, sometimes people that don't feel like they're in sales, that they struggle with it, it's tough for them. Like we talked a lot about like connections and how you, um, you know, start first yeah. by doing that and collaborating with folks. What are, what advice would you have for the person that just doesn't feel like they're, they're great at it. And maybe advice for the person who is uh, a career lifelong sales professional <laughs> and, you know, they feel like they know everything. Well, I think, starting with the first person that is maybe struggling with connection is that, um, you know, how can we sort of look at the, the opposite end of the spectrum? If the mm -hmm. if one end of the spectrum is like, I want to have a great relationship with clients or with people and really get, you know, I'm always going to say like, oh, yeah, well, talk to me about the relationship with yourself. Like what is going inward look like for you? So mm -hmm. maybe look mm -hmm. at the opposite side of mm -hmm. that, you know, mm -hmm. of, of that spectrum, you know, can always be a good thing. Again, not easy to do, but again, you know, we sort of talked about this, whether it was the paddler's energy, we never graduate mm -hmm. from this. Mm -hmm. like we, mm -hmm. we always turn mm -hmm. back in and make sure we've got the capacity. Mm -hmm. The more work you do with yourself, the better you know yourself, the better you lead yourself to sort of use our valor kind of uh, framework. It, the better disposition you have for, you know, uh, being 
thoughtful and kind about the way you are, you know, you are, you're relating to other people. So I think that's really what kind of come, comes up for me is the, um, and secondly, that I think that we're, we're living in a world where it, everything appears to be happening in big steps, happening quickly. And I think, it, you know, the, the truth is that if you really think this through, it's happening much slower. The process takes a little bit longer. So I don't want to just say be patient or play the long game, but what I would sort of say from my own experience, small steps every day make, uh, uh, that makes the difference. If I look at like where my life was bottoming out when I was CEO of USA Canoe Kayak 10 years ago and about 50 or 60 pounds ago, yeah, Mm -hmm. it was like my health was really, really in a different place then. Uh, everything happened in so slow and so small, and I'm so grateful that it happened that way. And so I think that the, 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 the suggestion there is, is like, what is the smallest possible experiment you can run to try something different? So, you know, if, even if you are really good at your craft and you're thinking about maybe something new or different that you want to try whether that is very client, you know, client facing or whether that's more, you know, um, in, in internal facing, you know, maybe find like the small, maybe it's mentoring or coaching, you know, other people on the sales team, you know, that there's, you want to mm-hmm. say, I've been pretty good at selling for a while. Yeah. I want to get better at people. Like what is the smallest possible experiment you could run without like flipping everything and just, you know, you're a rock star salesperson and you give it all up to manage people only to find out, I hate this. I actually really enjoy being a rock star salesperson and uh, which, you know, happens often, you know, and mm-hmm. I think giving ourselves more like finding the really small experiments we can run, the small steps we can exercise every day to see if we even like something or see if we have a disposition to be good or to see if something works. And then from there, you know, we, we can go forward. I, I find that to be uh, really helpful in, in, in my own work and progress today. Yeah, I've heard you say that. I'm a, such a fan of like the Uber driver conversations and the Starbucks barista conversations and just, you know, you meet somebody, you know, a cashier, hey, how's your day? Like, hey, what's, you know, your your name? Like, hey, where, where are you from originally? Um, what's the craziest thing that's happened to you today? What's, uh, what's new in your world today? Like just, just having those like totally low stakes conversations where you can kind of get to know and connect with people, you know? Um, This Starbucks, the Starbucks example is the best because like what happens if that doesn't go well? I I think most of the people watching or listening to this can, can say like, that's not the worst thing. But when we think about the big presentation we've got, if that doesn't go well, that changes our behavior. So like, the thing about small experiments is that we find the same muscle that we're going to use in the big presentation. And we're just going to find a way to use that muscle and exercise it more, more consistently and more proficiently. So when it does come time to use it in the higher stakes situation, we have a better chance of using that muscle more effectively. And I would even say that if you don't use that muscle, like in anything in Olympics or any athlete, like when you don't use something, it atrophies. It, it, it atrophies. It, 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 it's it, the worst. It, it kind of, yeah. I mean, you know, it. like if you don't train, you don't work out, you lose so much ground. And it's like, 
when you do that consistently, you're like, oh man, I don't want to, I just want to get a coffee here. I just want to get out of yeah. here. But if you're like, hey, I'm trying to be intentional about this, like it may seem scary, it may seem pointless, but again, it's going to come second nature to you to ask that, hey, what's going on in your day? Hey, I bet what's the craziest thing that's happened? Hey, I bet, hey, just, um, you know, curious, like what's, uh, like, hey, looks like th- like th- this is, um, you know, just not your favorite, like not the, not the, quickest uh day to get a, a coffee at starbucks huh you know i mean I, I, like starbucks really fascinates me because if you go and most of them here in the morning in a major city are like a freaking firestorm like there's coffee cups everywhere there's just chaos everywhere there's tons of people picking up stuff there's a huge line there's lots of stress but like those people like a lot of them are working with lots of like energy yeah. and excitement and they're like they're doing amazing work in the most high stress situation. So if they had somebody going, you know what, I see you like, this is, this is wild. I, I, my hat goes off to you. I can't imagine what you're going through today. They're like, you know what? No one's ever said that. Thanks for, you know, uh, taking a look and, and, and you will see that in business. Like that translates, like when you kind of see somebody that again, as we said in the beginning, everyone wants to be seen, heard and understood, but you know, the people that do it, aren't just salespeople, right? You know, Joe, as you just kind of alluded yeah. to. So Alex, I, I, I know we have we have an impending deadline. So I'm gonna propose a part two to yeah. our conversation sometime. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. And even better, and even better since you mentioned Starbucks, come over to Catalonia so we can start to rewire your coffee drinking habits. <laughs> a nice outdoor cafe I'm... with the best cup of coffee you've ever had. You know, on 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 a really nice outdoor cafe. You know, really quiet. You know, in the in the park under the trees, and we'll bring the recording device, and we'll make our part two of a conversation with a with a Catalan coffee. What do you say? Sign me up, Joe, and I'm gonna put uh, all the information about where to find you in your notes, and you know, people tune in. We're gonna we're gonna do another part of this because there's just so much I want to keep talking to you about. One hundred percent. I look forward to it, Alex. Thank you so much. Awesome. Hey gang, all right, wow, you made it to the end. I know your time is valuable, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right. See you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human.